The following message was recorded at Fountain of Life Fellowship in Fountain Valley, California. For more information, please go to www.folfcrc.com. So we're in a sermon series we've been calling Save Two. And um, we've been thinking about how the Christian life is so much more than just like a hobby. It's more than just religious exercise. Christian life, is it just about winning a trivial pursuit Bible edition game? Is it just facts you know? Is it just being a nice person and hitting church when you can sometimes? Or is it more than that? It's much more. That's why we're calling it saved to. What, what are we saved to? We're saved to a relationship, a connection, fellowship with the living God, the creator of the earth, the triune God. How can you know God who made everything and not be changed by him? Is that even possible? How can you see him and come in contact with him, know his love, and not have that affect you? No way. So we're, we've been seeing that Christians are saved to transformation. Uh, the Lord God changes our standing before him. Who were you before Christ? Do you remember? You're an enemy of God. You're hostile to God. Um, who are you now because of Christ? When you trust in Jesus Christ, you're a child of God been forgiven of your sins. You see how your standing before God is totally transformed? Totally, totally changed. Not only that, we're, we're also transformed in how we live. So as we've been looking at the fruit of the Spirit, that's an, that's an aspect of transformation. We get this idea from Galatians 5. Paul says that, here's how it works, right? You trust in Jesus Christ. Who lives in you now? The second person of the Trinity, the Holy Spirit, is in you and with you. And so the Christian life now is to be led by the Spirit or to follow the Spirit, to walk with the Spirit. And we say these things a lot, but shouldn't it be overwhelming that God himself is in you? Shouldn't it be amazing that he speaks to you, you can listen to him, that you can rely on him, and that he's changing you? So the idea is if you walk by the Spirit, Trusting the promises of God's word, trusting the gospel, well, the character of Jesus is going to grow out of you like an orange from an orange tree. It's just going to organically um, become part of who you are. So the character of Jesus is the fruit. So now this Christian life that we have, we're transformed. We want to partner with God in what he's doing in us. So in Galatians 5, we had fruit versus flesh. Um, For the illustration's sake, let's call flesh the weeds. What do you do with weeds in your garden? You don't want to be a lazy gardener, right? You pull those things out. You throw them away. So the flesh is that sinful inclination, um, that sense of enmity, hostility towards God. It's, it's self-occupied always. It's about self. We want, as Christians, we want to kill that stuff. Paul says in Galatians 5, we want to crucify the flesh. So that's, that's pretty strong. So we want, to, we want to weed out that selfishness, and instead we want to cultivate fruit. We have a part to play. So the fruit, yes, it's a gift of grace. You don't invent it. You don't create it. But you cultivate it. You work with it. And so when the Bible says the fruit of the Spirit is kindness and goodness, what do you want to do? You want to work towards being kind like God is kind, toward being good like God is good. And what do you want to weed out? anything in the way of that, Any, anything opposing that. So that's where we are today is kindness and goodness. The reason I'm taking these two together is because they're very close in meaning and these words are actually uh, 
nearly synonymous some places in the New Testament. So before we go any further, what, what do we mean by kindness and goodness? Jerry Bridges makes this decision. I think it's helpful. I got a slide for you. Let's look and see what Bridges says about kindness and goodness. Bridges says, kindness is a sincere desire for the happiness of others. Goodness is the activity calculated to advance that happiness. Kindness is the inner disposition created by the Holy Spirit that causes us to be sensitive to the needs of others, whether physical, emotional, or spiritual. Goodness is kindness in action, words and deeds. What do you think? Does that work? Kindness, what does kindness seem to emphasize? Attitude. It's a sense of those around you and desire um, to care about them, to bless them, to help them. Uh, but it's, it's the inward kind of inclination to help and bless others. Whereas goodness, what does that emphasize? Get it done. Do something. Act on it. Uh, Give, participate, make it real is really important. How many of you sometimes feel kind, but you don't end up doing anything good? You ever had that before? I got a good feeling towards this person. I can see their need. I'd really like to do something. <laughs> Draw off in the sunset, you didn't do anything. Or the other way around it, you ever done something good for somebody, but you didn't want to? You just did it flat? Beautiful Beautiful connection here between these two things. Kindness, the heart for it. Goodness, the deeds of it. So this is what we're going to do in order to cultivate this fruit, to bear this fruit. Number one, we're going to look at God's kindness and goodness. Remember, these are all fruits of the Spirit. These things come from Him. These are unique qualities of God. So we're going to see God's kindness and goodness. Second, we're going to see what His kindness and goodness do in us for us and in us, it, it can't leave you unchanged. And then third, I wanna think with you about how to cultivate this in our lives. So we're gonna see God's kindness and goodness, see what it does in us, think about how to cultivate it in our lives. To see God's kindness and goodness, we're gonna be in Titus chapter three, verses three to eight. I hope you're there with me, page 998, 999. Paul writes this letter to Titus, he's a, a leader uh, trying to help this group of churches. And he's, Paul, is, Paul is actually, this is Paul's sermon series on Save 2. He's trying to get these churches to be who they are as Christians, live out of what they've been saved to. Look at verse, uh, verse 8. What is Paul after? What is he hoping for? Verse 8, the saying is trustworthy. I want you to insist on these things so that those who have believed in God may be what? Careful to devote themselves to good works. What's he want the church to do? Do good stuff. Do good stuff for people. Um, so that's, that's the motivating drive in this. Do good stuff. If you're a Christian, what, what does God want you to do? Do good deeds. Do good stuff. Okay, so how's he going to get you there? Well, he says, verse 8, this saying is, is trustworthy, and I want you to insist on these things so that those who believe them will do good deeds. Do you see a connection here? If you insist on certain things, teach it, emphasize it, drill it in, what tends to come out? Good deeds. And amazingly, 
as, as Paul is saying, hey guys, do good stuff, be kind, be good, what's he going to drag your attention to first? The kindness and goodness of God in the gospel. So it's the kindness and goodness of God in the gospel that motivates us, enables us to be kind and good ourselves. So Paul's setting up an argument here that will just kind of fill us with God's goodness and make us want to be good. That's the point. Starts with the negative. Look at verse 3. For we ourselves, let's just pause there. Who's he talking about? We ourselves. Okay, and that's the apostle. Does it include him? Yeah. Anyway, I thought he's an apostle. He's like super good. We ourselves. Does it include Titus, the leader of the churches? Yeah. Does it include you, what he's about to say here? We ourselves were once, we were once what? Help me out. Foolish is first. What's it mean to be foolish? We had no idea what life was all about. No idea what life is all about. Never asked the big questions of life, and if we asked them, we got them wrong. We were living for the wrong things. Foolish. Was that you before Jesus? Or maybe you come in right now and you're like, that's kind of me right now. We need to go to God for what it means to have wisdom. What is life about? What is this for? We were foolish. Next word. We're not only foolish, what else were we? We were disobedient. God gives his law. Do these things. His law is good. What do we say in our sin? No. (laughs) No. God says don't lie. You said, oh, but in that moment I didn't have a choice. Right? I didn't have a choice. I had to lie. God, you're stupid. You don't get it. God, your law doesn't work. Disobedient. Have you been disobedient to God? I have. There's some evangelists, sometimes they, they seem to be so forceful, but one thing they do well is bring up the idea of law. You know, how many, how many of you maybe once believed you were a good person all on your own without God? Or maybe, maybe you come in here and now, I'm a good person. Uh, God's good and I'm already good. Me and God are friends, just like that. That's why the law is helpful, because the law is like a crystal clear mirror. You can look into it and see how good you are. You know, uh, Jesus, Jesus did this with mastery. He'd say, you've heard it said, don't commit murder. And how many of you are like, sweet, I got that one. Never killed anybody. Never drove my knife into their back. I'm good. I'm a good person. And Jesus is like, oh, yeah, but you're just doing externals. I say to you, if you've ever cursed somebody in your heart, you're bitter towards them. You demean them in your heart. You insulted them in your heart. You said, you fool in your heart. If you ever did that, uh, you, you got the seed of murder in your heart. That's how murder starts. What? Are you telling me that when I was bitter at that person, and some of you, who are you bitter at right now? They're coming into your mind. What have you said about them and thought about them in your mind? It'd be better if they weren't even here. Murderer. Or Jesus said, you've heard it said, don't commit adultery. And the Pharisees were like, oh, I'm good. I never slept with somebody who wasn't my spouse while I was married to this person. Oh, no, Jesus says, I'm telling you, if you ever looked at a woman with lust, covetous lust in your heart, to have what's not yours, see what's not yours, see what's not yours, you've committed adultery. How many of you are like, Okay, the law, we're disobedient. 
We're disobedient. We're disobedient, Paul says, because we're led astray. You see that? Foolish, disobedient, led astray. Why were we disobedient? Well, we didn't think God was very good or very worth it. And so we were going after happiness and satisfaction in some other place. What is that? Led astray, deceived. Slaves to our passions, Paul says. Can't stop, love sin. And then look how this plays out in relationships. Do you see it? Passing our days in malice. What's malice? Kind of a hostile anger towards people. Passing our days in envy. You look at somebody else and you're, oh, if I just had their life, I'd be happy. Passing our days in malice and envy. Hated by others. There are people out there who can't stand your name, the side of you. And hating one another. Bunch of winners, huh? And who is this? Verse three, we ourselves. Right, that's me without Christ. We ourselves. He's setting up an argument. What do do we deserve if that's who we are? Before a holy God, a good God, what do you deserve? See, that just sets the stage, though, for the goodness and the kindness of of God. Look at verse 4. When the goodness and loving kindness of God our Savior appeared. Isn't that great? You get a sense of who we were and what we deserve. And now we're going to get the appearance, the revelation of these two things. Kindness and goodness. Again, Bridges said kindness is what? It's a the attitude, the, the heart of wanting to bless and help somebody work for their happiness. Is God kind to you? We, we sang today, your name is great and your heart is kind. Does he have a kind heart toward you? He really, he knows about you, he cares about you, and he wants your good. Does he have a soft heart for you? His kindness appeared. Is God good? Is God like us? He's kind of a hypocrite. He feels kind, but he doesn't act on it. Feels that way sometimes, doesn't it? If you're so kind for me, why won't you (laughs) do something I need? I understand the question. That's why Paul's going to bring us to a certain place on how the kindness of God appeared, and how the goodness of God appeared. But uh, look look at what he does in Scripture. Look what he does back, maybe you can't see in this moment in your life, but have you ever seen God's goodness in your life so far until now? Does he act on his kindness? The goodness and kindness of God appeared. And it, it sets the stage for his goodness and kindness because how much do we deserve it based on that first verse we looked at? Can any of us walk up to God and be like, God, you owe me goodness and kindness? Any up. Not close, right? We're the, we're the farthest thing from, any, from deserving it, which shows you how beautiful it is. Shows you how wonderful it is that he would be this kind and good to this kind of people. The kindness of God, the goodness of God appeared. How did it appear? Verse five. He saved us. It's interesting that Paul did not point to our everyday circumstances to reveal the kindness and goodness of God. That's important. When you feel like God's unkind or not good, what are you looking at usually? 
Something right here, circumstances. And by the way, other places in Scripture do point to circumstances to show God's kindness and goodness. Ed mentioned Pastor Abner in prayer. That's That's a sister church we have in Haiti. And when you go there and you see these folks worshiping Jesus Christ with all their hearts, you get confronted by something. It's one of the blessings to me to be able to go there and see this. Because here's the thing. If you are judging God's kindness and goodness to you right now based on your circumstances, and you're concluding that he's not kind and good to you based on your circumstances, then you are damning every Christian in Haiti because none of them have what you have. Are you willing to say that? Are you willing to say that God, if he's not kind to you right now in your circumstances, has never been kind to any Christian anywhere in the world? Because first century Christians, they got thrown to lions for their faith. Was God kind to them? Christians in India, I've seen what they live on. Is God kind to them? You have it better. Every one of us has it better. So I'm thankful that, God, that Paul did not point here to our circumstances to show us God's kindness and goodness, because here's why. Some of us have it easier than others right now. And so what could we think? God's kind and good to me and not to you. That wouldn't go so well. Not only that, think of this. What, is, what does kindness want? What does goodness do? It wants your best. It wants you to be happy. See, the Bible knows a secret that we keep forgetting. And that is that the things of this world and the circumstances of this life cannot ultimately satisfy you. They cannot satisfy you. If God gave you the perfect life here and that was it, he is not being kind. Do you hear that? If God gave you everything you dreamed of here and that was it, he's not being good because it's not enough to satisfy you. It cannot give you what you need. There's only one thing that can satisfy you forever, perfectly, and completely. And what is it? It's him. See, the only way God is truly kind and good and not just giving you secondhand garage sale kindness is if he gives you himself. And one way he makes sure you get him is through suffering. It is kindness. Kindness and goodness of God, our Savior, appeared. Verse five, he saved us. Let's walk through these pictures of God's kindness. He saved us. Verse five, how did he save us? Because he says he saved us, and then he says not. What did he save us not by? Not by works done in righteousness. Is that kind of God? What if he was like, all right, if you obey enough, I'll let you in. Some of us are like, oh, that's not good, right? Because, because you never did it good enough. You never did it faithfully enough. You never did it, you never did it perfectly enough. And so God doesn't save you based on what you've done, and this is, this is glorious. This is so great. When God says, hmm, should I save him? He's not looking at what you've done. As, as the text is gonna say, he saves us through Jesus Christ. Whose resume is he looking at in your place? Jesus Christ, he lived a perfect life. 
So he doesn't save us by our works done in righteousness. Rather, it says, he saved us according to his own mercy. Mercy is to see somebody's need and to feel, feel that need and to meet that need. And I couldn't, I couldn't be right with God on my own. I couldn't do it. I messed it up too many times. And so God met that need for me in Jesus Christ. It gives me his perfect obedience as a free gift. So it's not by my works. Isn't that kind? If you feel guilty for your sin, you say, God can never love me. I want you to know the kindness of God. He'll, he will accept you as perfect even though you and yourself are not due to what Jesus has done for you. It's so kind. It's so good. Saved us not because of works done in righteousness according to his own mercy. Second way we see God's kindness is he saved us by the washing of regeneration and renewal of the Holy Spirit. So somebody's kind to you. They want to give you something good. What does God send you? An angel? Would you like an angel? That'd be kind of cool, right? It's not good enough. Who does he send you? The Holy Spirit, second person in the Trinity, fully God. He sends you the Holy Spirit. Aren't you, aren't, aren't you amazed as a Christian you don't have to go through steps? Like, I'm not some magic priest. You have to go through me to get, through God, to get to God. You have to go through some saint to get to God. Guess who you go through to get to God? God. Straight to God. He's given you the Holy Spirit, and the Holy Spirit's done two things for you. Number one was regeneration. If you want a picture of this, look at John 3. A religious professional comes to Jesus like, Jesus, you're pretty cool. Let's talk. Jesus is like, you won't see the kingdom of heaven unless you get reborn. And the dude's totally taken aback. What? I am the kingdom of heaven. I'm a religious professional. No, you won't even see it unless you get reborn. Totally new start. And by the way, how many of you gave birth to yourself? How many of you had anything to do with your birth intentionally? How many of you got to have any opinions about your birth? Did you get a survey before your birth on what you'd like? Your birth was a gift. Same thing with the regeneration of the Holy Spirit. We didn't love Jesus. We didn't want him. God in his kindness sent the Holy Spirit who comes and says, wake up. And our eyes see Jesus. And we see our need. That's kindness. It's just his grace poured out on you that he would open your eyes to see. We never would have come on our own. Not only regeneration, but renewal of the Holy Spirit. And I think that's what we're talking about with Save too. Every day we're being renewed with the Holy Spirit to, to bear his fruit, to walk with God. Isn't that kind? In verse six, he pours it out on us richly through Jesus Christ. You ever feel like you have just a, you know, a pocket size version of the Holy Spirit? Or maybe somebody else out there has more Holy Spirit, you have little Holy Spirit. How much Holy Spirit do you get through Jesus Christ? Great A, Holy Spirit. The whole Holy Spirit with you. It's kind. Verse seven, so that being justified by his grace. What's it mean to be justified? Well, just think Jesus in my place. You look at your works, your works aren't good enough. Whose works are in your place? Jesus. Isn't it amazing? God looks at you through the lens of Jesus Christ, and so he sees you as if you always did everything perfectly good. I can't get over that. Can't get over that. Justified by grace. He sees you just as if you'd never sinned. Jesus took all of your sin. What kindness. And it's by grace. It's a free gift. It's his love. 
Not only that, we are justified by grace so that we might become, do you see it in verse seven? What are we gonna become? Being justified by his grace, we might become heirs according to the hope of eternal life. What is an heir? An heir inherits something. Do a study through scripture on what you're gonna inherit. How'd you feel if you knew that next year you were going to win Powerball? 100 kabillion million, you know, whatever. Would you be sweating your financial troubles right now? Or would you be like, yeah, just wait a year? Just wait a year. You'd be riding high for a year, wouldn't you? Even though you didn't have it yet. Christians, why are we living like there's no hope? Why are we living like there's nothing good coming? You're winning infinitely more, infinitely more than any lottery could ever give you. Heirs of God. What's God own? That's why Paul says you're an heir of the world. There's a new world coming. We get it. Heir of a new body. Body doesn't break down, doesn't rust out. But best of all, it's heir of God himself. He's my God. He's your God. He's our God. You're going to see his face. You're going to look in his eyes. What's that going to be like to be in his presence? It's yours. It's yours. Is it kind of God to take us from disobedient, foolish, blah, 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 to heirs of God? The lowest to the highest. And what did you do to earn it? Nothing. It's a gift. How kind is God? How good is God? Unbelievable. Look at what Paul writes in Ephesians 2, verses 6 to 7. It's kind of a similar idea. Ephesians 2, verse 4. But God, being rich in mercy because of the great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, made us alive together with Christ. By grace you've been saved. Verse 6. And he raised us up with him and seated us with him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus Specifically think about verse seven here. So that in the coming ages, he might what? What's he want to do? Show the immeasurable riches of his grace. So how much is that? A lot, right? Immeasurable riches of his grace in kindness towards us in Jesus Christ. So heaven is going to be God saying, I want to show you just how kind and good to you I can be. Watch. Do you think that will be an impressive display? I'm getting tickled thinking about it, right? Where God says, watch how kind and good I can be to you. Forever. Watch. It's almost like he sets a bet with himself. I'm gonna show you immeasurably how gracious and kind I can be. And never once have we deserved it. It's a free gift. Wow. Wow. God's kindness and his goodness has saved us. He saved us and it changes us. Back to verse eight of Titus three. This saying is trustworthy. What saying? Well, the gospel that he's given us. You can trust this gospel. God's kindness and goodness in saving you through Jesus Christ. And then Paul says to Titus, I want you to insist on these things. What things? That we're sinners and God has saved us by his kindness and goodness in Jesus Christ. Insist on it. It's true. It's real. Okay? 
So that those who believed in God, you believe this, you believe God is kind and good? So that those who believe in God may be careful. What's careful mean? I'm intense about this. I'm focused about this. Passionate about this. To devote themselves. What does that mean? I'm committed. I'm in. I'm doing this. Careful to devote themselves to what? Good works. God has been so kind and good to me. I'm amazed by that. Guess what I'm going to be? Kind of good. The fruit of the Spirit is kindness and goodness. Why does it work like this? Why does, you know, everybody knows religious people are supposed to be good, right? Why does, start, why does Paul start this conversation with, hey, you guys should be good, and man, you weren't good? Isn't that weird? Only Christianity does this. Other religions are like, try harder, you can be good. Christianity says, you are so not good. You're, you're more not good than you ever dreamed. Incredibly not good, but God sure is good to you. God sure is good to you. See, what it does is it makes it by grace. No strings. What strings were attached for God to be kind to you? I'm just going to do it. I'm just going to do it. Why is it sometimes that we don't want to be kind and good? I'll think about this with you a little bit later. Sometimes people break down like um, resources like pies, piece of the pie. So there's 10 pieces. Oh. You know, it's always like this with the kids when there's a dessert, right? I got four kids eating cookies. How many cookies? There better be 12 cookies so everybody can get three. Because, man, if it's 11, we can't be doing that. Because I don't even know that. Fra- I don't know how that works out fractionally. Who's going to get that extra bite of cookie? Is anybody else like this in your family? <laughs> Nobody's like, oh, you just take the cookies. Except Marcia. She doesn't even eat cookies. So, <laughs> If you think of life as this pie and there's only so many pieces, what do you, you got to do? You better fight for your piece of the pie. And if you're really a bad person, you'll take somebody else's piece. And if you're not so bad, you won't take their piece, but what do you got to do with yours? You better hoard it. You better keep it like this. Showing you the gospel just showed you how much pie you have. How much pie you got in Christ. You're like the owner of a pie factory. Pies. Pies. And what do you have to do to get it? It's just God's grace. When you're so satisfied in his kindness and goodness, this is why it's the only way this works. If you don't believe God is kind and good to you, you won't really truly be kind and good. You cannot do it. This is by grace. That's why it's a fruit of the Spirit. If you're so amazed at God's kindness and good to you in Christ, it's just lights go on and you want to see, see people with kind eyes and do things with, kind hand, with good hands. Right? Because you got so much pie. You, get, you have everything you need. I can give you this piece because I, I got more pie. Just keep taking it because I got more. Tasting God's goodness makes us want to do good. Tasting God's goodness makes us want to do good. God's goodness saves you. God's goodness changes you. So what do we do now? I think, I think we kind of... I don't need to go in a long equation on what a good deed is, do I? I don't think I need a long stories on kindness. Don't you have a grasp on kindness and goodness? How do you do it? 
I'll show you some verses that stood out to me on cultivating this. Number one, look at Romans 2, verse 4. Paul says, do you presume on the riches and kind of his kindness and forbearance and patience, not knowing that God's kindness is meant to lead you to repentance? What's the thing we tend to do with God's kindness sometimes? Is that word starts with a P. Presume. What does that mean? It's like taking it for granted or just thinking like it's no big deal. Well, of course God is kind to me. Of course. Well, you start doing that, you, you start thinking you, he's, he owes you somehow. Of course God's kind to me. Something rough comes up in your life, and what are you doing all of a sudden? God, how can you let this happen to me? I went to church. People who go to church aren't supposed to have this problem. Remember, we made a deal. It's in first, oh, it's not in the Bible. Presume on his kindness and goodness. You think it's no big deal. You think you deserve it. You think you've, you've, you've earned it. Don't presume on God's kindness and goodness. It's a gift, and it's meant to lead you to what? Repentance. What is repentance? It's a turning. So you're always turning into God, turning to God, coming to God, thankful, humble. His kindness is meant to lead you to repentance. If you're, if you're amazed God is kind with you, Go Turn to him in every way. So you're turning from your sin, turning from your idolatry, turning from your disobedience, turning to know him. But his kindness is meant to draw you close, to draw you near. His kindness changes you. So what's the first thing to do with God's kindness? Always repent. Do you ever stop? Any of you, you know, long-term Christians, you're like, I've been there and done that. Don't need to repent anymore. It doesn't work that way, does it? There is a capital R of repentance when you become a Christian, you don't need to become a Christian 99 million times. No, you are one. But isn't life now full of like small R repentances? I gotta turn to God again. I gotta confess my, he's kind, go to him. He's kind, go to him. One reason we don't go to him, we don't think he's kind enough. He's kind, what? Repent. Second thing, bank on God's goodness and kindness toward you. Bank on it. Psalms are full of this. Look at Psalm 23, 6. It's that famous song, right? The Lord is my shepherd. Towards the end of it, the author writes, surely. So what does surely mean? Definitely, absolutely. When my mom was, when my mom was a little kid, she actually thought somebody named Shirley Goodness was going to follow her. She's a little freaked out. That's not what it means. Definitely, absolutely, what's going to follow you all the days of your life? Goodness and Mercy. Surely, goodness and mercy will follow me all the days of my life, and I'll dwell in the house of the Lord forever. You are never going to run out of God's goodness to you. Bank on it. Bank on it. Psalm 65, 4. Blessed is the one you choose and bring near to dwell in your courts. And this is it, right? This is the best gift God can give. Come live with me. Blessed is the one you choose and bring near to dwell in your courts. We shall be satisfied with the goodness of your house, the holiness of your temple. Are you going to be happy forever? How happy are you going to be? You can't describe it because God's going to be so good and kind to you. Bank on it. Bank on it. That's the only way to get 
through this life. He is good to you and kind to you. You'll be with him forever. So number one, repent. Number two, bank on it. Number three, let's kill the weeds, right? You got weed in your garden. What, what are weeds in your life or the flesh that keep you from being kind? It was easy to find weeds in my own life, so I'll mention a couple of them. How about self-pity? What is self-pity? The dictionary says self-pity is excessive, self-absorbed unhappiness over one's own troubles. It's okay to be unhappy over troubles. We grieve it. The problem is excessive, self-absorbed. Our nation, it seems like, is made of hobby out of being victimized. We are entitled, right? We think we deserve everything, and we feel like we have been, we, we are victims, and we deserve. And so when you're all about your own victimized status, what are you looking at? Self. Listen, I am not saying, as a Christian, you haven't been victimized in some way. I'm not saying that. We are, big time. I am not saying we don't have troubles. We do. I'm saying that if you're a Christian, at the core of who you are, you are not a victim. You're not a victim. You are a daughter of God. You are a son of God. The lines have fallen for you in pleasant places, Psalm says. But see, if we're, vict- if we're into self-pity, what are we not into? We're not seeing God's goodness to us, we're unthankful, and we're not able to cast our eyes on where kindness and goodness should be, which is the needs of others, because we're so into ourselves. We think of others in our self-pity only so that they will think of us. Look at me and how much, look at my sorrows, look at my troubles, praise me, but give me attention over myself. And that's the opposite of being kind and good. Kindness and goodness is generosity. And so, listen, if you're hurting, if you've been victimized, I'm not demeaning that. I'm not saying it's not a grief. I'm not saying you don't need every love and every help. I'm saying when you see yourself at the core as a victim and self-pity becomes a hobby, that's flesh. Because it doesn't take into account the gospel. And it doesn't for you to be kind. Another one, I think, another weed that keeps us from being kind and good. Two, partiality. You know what partiality is? I pick and choose who I'll be kind and good to based on different distinctions. Now, I think each one of you is drawn to certain kind of people that you love to serve and love to help. Uh, by the way, I think that's good. Some of you have a burden, a passion for, for one group of people. You really, wanna, you really wanna be kind and good to them. That's awesome. It's a gifting. It's a calling. Go with it. The problem is when there are certain kinds of people where are like, I won't be kind and good to them. Maybe it's based on politics, kinder to one opinion than the other. Maybe it's based on race. Maybe it's based on gender. Maybe it's based on situations. Some of you love to be kind and good to people who aren't doing well, but you don't, have a, you don't care about people who do seem to be doing well. Or the other way around. Or it could be family members. You ever been kind to your kids, kind of good to your kids, not your spouse? What's that all about? No partiality. Remember 1 Corinthians 13, love is patient, love is kind. And who are we supposed to love? Christians, remember this? Everybody's favorite verse. Love your neighbor 
and your enemy. You supposed to be kind to your enemy? What do you think? Biblical math. Love your enemy. Love is kind. Be kind and good to your enemy. Look at what Jesus said in Luke 6.35. Love your enemies and do what? Good. Lend expecting nothing in return. Are you ready to give a big chunk of money to your enemy? Jesus gave his life for his enemy. And your reward will be great and you'll be sons of the most high. Why? Because he is kind to whom? The ungrateful and the evil. Are you not deeply confronted by this? God is kind to the ungrateful and the evil, so what should we be? Kind and good. Wow. Kill that weed. Partiality, self-pity. Number four, I think just, don't you think when it comes to being kind and good, we should just be awake? If I'm consumed with my own life, my own problems, maybe I didn't notice the person working the grocery store line. Maybe I didn't notice the person walking by. Maybe I didn't notice you. Maybe I didn't. God's kindness is he's awake to us in our needs. Are we working to be awake to the casual interactions we have with people all around us? The baristas, Starbucks, the, anybody. Be awake. That's one thing. And then follow through. Because kindness maybe is the attitude, and what's goodness? The action. If you, here's a challenge for you. If you feel like a sense of kindness towards somebody or some group, I challenge you to put that into action somehow this week. Do something. Write a note, say thank you, give something. Be good, do a good, do a good deed. Be awake, follow through. I got two more things to add when it comes to being kind of good. Be an everyday hero. Everyday hero. A lot of us, we want to be good, and I'm still waiting for that burning car to happen right in front of the house, and I will totally run into that car and pull the person out of it. I'm, wait, I'm waiting for something epic to be good. Do you ever feel that way? But then just everything I do in my everyday life, it just seems so not important. That's not the kind of goodness the Bible's talking about. So for instance, how much time do you spend on Tuesday doing what? Well, you're probably working. Can you be kind of good at work? Listen, even unless you work at like a gentleman's club, which is ironic because a gentleman has never actually been there. But unless you work at a gentleman's club, you're probably making something that's good for someone else. Computer programming, boiler making, bus driving, house building. What are you doing? You're doing something that people need. It's good. It's good. It's good to make and to build and to do. So when you work, what should your attitude be towards your coworkers and even your customers? Kindness. I, I really want to help you. I want to do my best for you right now. 
I have an attitude of wanting, I'm, I'm going to serve you the best. You, you've never been treated like this, like the way you're going to be treated at Lowe's right now because I'm going to take such a good care of you. I'm going to be so kind to you. I'm going to be so good to you. When I make this product, I'm making it with my best. I'm doing it my best. Not so I can be praised, but because God is kind and good in everything that he makes, and I'm making this kind and good for you. Be kind and good at work. You are glorifying God every moment, every day with his goodness. Be kind and good at home. Look at this verse from 1 Timothy chapter 5. It's a weird situation, kind of doesn't fit with our situation here, but back in the day there wasn't welfare, um, and so churches would sometimes take on widows who have nothing, and they would support them fully. And so there's discussion on, okay, who are we taking care of? The reason I'm bringing this verse up is because Paul gives an example of somebody who's really been good and done good deeds. And I want you to see what their good deeds were, okay? Look at 1 Timothy 5, verse 9. Let a widow be enrolled if she's not less than 60 years of age. That's because she can still work, right? Having been the wife of one husband and having a reputation for what? Good works. And now what are these good works? If she has brought up children. There's certain strains in our culture that think, ladies, if you actually devote yourselves to bringing up children, you're like secondhand, not important. The Bible says that is a good work. A good work. Good deeds. If you brought up children. If she is what? Shown hospitality. You have somebody over. Make them a meal, serve them coffee. Listen to them, talk to them, pray for them. What is that? It's a good deed. Wash the feet of the saints. It doesn't have to be literal, okay? Take off your shoes. No. You're meeting their needs. This happens all the time at our church. You're meeting their needs. That's a good deed. It's good work. Care for the afflicted. Devote herself to every good work. You see how we just need everyday heroes when it comes to being kind of good? Just when you're working, be kind of good. When you're taking care of people at home, be kind of good. Just everyday stuff. And that glorifies God. It's beautiful. It's the fruit of the Spirit. Last one. Don't quit. Look at this line from John Piper. I think this is good. Probably the worst enemy of enthusiasm, he says, is what? Time. Human beings have a remarkable and sad capacity for getting tired of wonderful things. Isn't that true? Almost every one of you can think of something you were enthusiastic about recently, but now the joy has faded. Your first day of vacation on the coast, the sunset was breathtaking. It made you so happy you could sing. But by the end of your stay, you hardly notice it anymore. Vacationers get tired of sunsets. Millionaires get tired of money. Kids get tired of toys. And Christians get tired of doing good. Bam. You started some ministry. You took on some responsibility. You're enthused about it. You're serving God after a while. You got tired. Look at Galatians 6, 8 to 10. Look at this. For one who sows to his own flesh will from the flesh reap, what will you reap? Corruption. So flesh against selfishness. You sow to that, you invest in that, you're gonna get corruption, death. 
The one who sows to the Spirit will from the Spirit reap what? Eternal life. So that's a big deal. And it is talking about, it's about, talking about being saved. It's what you live for, what you invest in. If you sow to the Spirit, you'll reap eternal life. And by the way, the fruit of the Spirit is kindness and goodness, right? Verse nine, let us not grow weary of doing good. For in due season we will reap if, if what? We don't give up. Doing good is proof that you're a Christian. And enduring in doing good and never quitting is proof that you're a Christian. So then, verse 10, as we have opportunity, let us do good to whom? Everybody. You have an opportunity, take it. And especially those who are of the household of faith. Why would he say that? Probably because that's who God has been especially kind to. He's kind to everybody. He's especially kind to those who are in Christ. So don't quit. Christians don't quit in doing good to everyone, especially one another. Because we have the Holy Spirit, and the fruit of the Spirit is kindness and goodness. So here's what we do. Listen, continually taste God's kindness to you in saving you through Christ, right? He's been so good so kind, we were so low, he's brought us so high by his grace. And as you see his goodness and kindness to you, be kind and good to others. Weed out the flesh of selfishness and live in his generosity, kind and good like him, which means you never quit. Let's pray. Our Heavenly Father, we thank you that you never run out of kindness and goodness for us in Christ Jesus. And we want to be like you. Help us to be kind. Lord, help us to be so satisfied with your kindness and goodness to us that you're going to lavish your love on us forever and make us so incredibly happy in who you are. Give us the fruit of that now, the foretaste of it now. Help us to bear this fruit of your spirit, Lord, in how we treat one another. Give us hearts that are awake to others and just full of desire to bless them, do good for them, and give us hearts to, uh, to turn into real work. Lord, just everyday life, wherever we are, to be kind and good. Lord, forgive us for when we haven't. Forgive me for when I haven't. Move us closer to what you have for us, what we're saved to. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.